With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this week's Big Ticket, Variety and iHeart's movie podcast. I'm your host, Mark Malkin. Today, we've got Jack Rayner, one of the stars of Midsommar, Ari Aster's follow-up to Hereditary about a group of friends who travel to Sweden for a once-in-every-90-years Midsommar celebration. It doesn't take long for the drug-infused trip to take very freaky and deadly turns. Jack plays Christian, whose girlfriend, played by Florence Pugh, joins them on the trip to Sweden after she experiences a horrifying loss. I sat down with Jack in New York City to talk horror movies, why he's not so into superhero franchises, and what really went down during his very full frontal sex scene in Midsommar. That's all coming up after a short break. Stick around. What do explorers, an army officer, and a Minnesota insurance salesman have in common? They all wanted to be the first to reach the North Pole, but only one of them made it. I'm Kat Long, science editor at Mental Floss and host of the new podcast, The Quest for the North Pole, which dives into the centuries-long race to explore the Arctic, find the Northwest Passage, and conquer the top of the world. With a cast of daring adventurers and some pretty determined amateurs, the race to the pole reveals the human desire to solve mysteries of geography and the soul. We'll look at the important Arctic expeditions that filled the blank spaces on the map and recognize how indigenous people made them successful. We'll examine what pushed explorers to venture ever farther into the unknown and uncharted, and how the climate crisis is changing the Arctic today. Listen to The Quest for the North Pole every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Here's Jack Rayner. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. I'm very okay. glad to be back in New York. Where do we start? Where do we start? First of all, I want to warn everyone, you can't talk about this movie without talking about some spoilers. There's just, you want to talk about certain scenes, they're pivotal scenes, there's going to be spoilers, so I'm just warning everyone, I they may want to agree hold with off. That. Yeah. Um, this is a crazy, creepy, scary, thrilling, surreal movie, but is it a horror movie? I think it's a horror movie among other things. One critic said that it was a tapestry woven of many threads. And I thought that that was a beautiful, articulate way <laughs> to describe Midsommar. Um, 
it's a breakup movie. It is a folk horror movie. Um, you know, there's a lot. There's a lot going on in it. There is a lot going on in it. I know this is gonna sound really weird, but there are parts of it that almost are like a rom com. Yeah, absolutely. There's this humor to it. There's a lot of humor. <laughs> there's a lot of really dark humor in it. Yeah. Right. And, <laughs> and I think that the dark humor, right from the first time I met Ari. One of the things that I was delighted to find about him is that he's a huge fan of Chris Morris. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you know Chris mm -mm. Morris. Chris Morris directed a film called Four Lions, which okay. came out in 2010. It was Riz Ahmed's breakout role. Okay. And Chris Morris is a, a, a British satirist and he really like existed like in the 90s on the membrane edge of mm -hmm. provocative gallows humor mm -hmm. um, and did like a satirical news show uh, that was very, very, very controversial. So I knew that Ari was a big fan of that. And, you know, he said to me that he was going to, um, he wanted to basically try and introduce some of that humor into Midsommar because it's a, it's a challenge to the audience, you know, mm -hmm. it's foiling with them. It's basically saying, you know, is this funny? Are you allowed to laugh at this, you know, <laughs> right. or is it really just like horror? Um, so you read this script. Mm -hmm. Do you even understand what's going on when you read a script like this? Yes, I did. I, I read it and my team had basically said to me, this is going to be like a crazy Eli Roth horror movie <laughs> set in Sweden. And I read it. <laughs> and I <was> like, okay. <laughs> So I read it and I felt that it, I mean, uh, I just felt like the Eli Roth reference was totally mis, misjudged, yes. you know, because this yeah. is such a personal film and it's about something that the director clearly had some kind of an experience of. And these are very human characters that are very relatable. They're mm. not just like fodder to be smushed Slashed. into a gory, <laughs> yeah. you know, like paste. It's, there's more going on. Um, and so I was really interested in that aspect of it. Um, I felt that this character, Christian, was somebody who was relatable to me in that I can empathize with, you know, not always having the capacity to be emotionally mm -hmm. available to somebody who you have a responsibility to in a relationship. I think we're all like that at certain times well, in one, our relationships. One of the things that I was um, just discussing, debating it with someone in the office yesterday where he's like, Christian's disgusting. I have no, 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 no. He's a bad guy. He's a bad guy. I'm like, wait a minute. Mm. What is so bad about him? He stays with, you know, the, the, Female in the movie is played by Florence Pugh. She's she's gone through this horrible, horrible loss, mm -hmm. um, and he stays with her. Now, I guess the argument could be made like if he didn't really want to be with her, he should have stayed with her. But yeah. I was like, okay. I think anybody would find it very difficult in in a moment of somebody's right. personal tragedy like yes. this to say, you know what, just See to put ya. the cherry on the cake, <laughs> I'm out of here. Right. Um. So. As far as society dictates to us, this guy does the right thing, but he is not the right guy to do the right thing. And that is his crime. Why do you say that? What do you mean? He's just, he doesn't have the emotional intelligence. He's, he's insensitive. He's desperate for his own autonomy to the point where he's basically, you know, turning away from her and he's putting up walls. Right. And that is such a common thing in any relationship. Mm -hmm. We all experience that in our relationships, just like we experience 
the relationship from Danny's perspective when we have emotional needs that aren't right. being net, met or, you know. But, but when, I, when I first met Danny, that's the Florence yeah. Pugh character, at the beginning of the movie, I was like, she's annoying. Really? Yes. <laughs> until, until, you know, something happened. You really think I'm an asshole? Don't no, you? no, 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 no. What I find really interesting about it, and I've, I mean, I've met a few audiences who've come out of the theater now after seeing it. This film is really polarizing in terms of mm -hmm. people's reactions to it and how they feel about it. You know, as far as I'm concerned, yeah, we do ultimately align with Danny, and, and the film yes. is, it's about her catharsis, and it's from her perspective, right. really. But I think what I would hope from an audience is that they're able to see the relationship from both sides, mm -hmm. both perspectives. Um, and I think that if you can do that, it's probably a richer experience. Right. The second time, okay, I'll like her in the second time I see it. <laughs> I tweet, after I saw the movie, I tweeted, I said, if Jaws made you afraid to go into the water, then Midsommar is going to make you think again about taking a holiday to Sweden. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what's great about it is like, you have this backdrop of beautiful Sweden. Mm -hmm. It's bright. They're in like these fairy dresses. There's flat. Mm -hmm. And then it is, ju it just plays with your mind because it's just so dark. It is incredibly dark. And that's a testament to the skill of the filmmaker to mm -hmm. be able to find that depth of darkness in blistering sunlight, right. you know? Um, I think what was interesting for me when I came on was like talking to Ari about his kind of some of the visual references, mm -hmm. like, you know, Pell and Pressburger and the three strip color yep. from. Um, Black Narcissus and Tales of Hoffman and stuff like that, which was great. Um, I could also see, even from the short films that I watched, because I hadn't seen Hereditary when I signed on to this well, film. Was, I hadn't been you, out. You have, wow. Didn't even know, yeah. So, um, Which is kind of good because you weren't under the pressure, I no, guess. Because yeah. there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of exactly, pressure on this exactly. second film. But I, you know, I watched his short films, which are no less, you know, skillful and just like really unique films mm -hmm. um and i'm a i'm a, I'm a big cinemaphile and i love watching movies right. and um i could see some 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 visual references in in his short films myself and and like visual style that harks back to some like very obscure filmmakers mm -hmm. that i love that i right. don't have an opportunity to talk to a lot of people about and when ari and i started to talk about that stuff together i was like whoa this guy is like <laughs> prodigious you know and mm. um, so that was a very very exciting thing for me and to go back to what you were saying about the script reading the script it was i mean it it, it stood out and it was like you know this is something that isn't really getting made this is mm -hmm. this is an opportunity to do something that's unique um but none of his uh none of none of the camera direction or any of that was written into the script and mm -hmm. so when he spoke to me about it in person and i understood what his what his vision mm -hmm. was for how he was going to execute it visually there was no way that i could have said no to doing it how do you sell this movie to someone why they should see it it's coming out july 4th weekend it's like you know it's it's the happy weekend you know it's summer yeah. why should they go into a theater and see this if you've just gone through a breakup maybe it's the right movie for you 
Maybe it's uh, maybe, maybe it's not. not. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you're twisted. <laughs> I think it's um, you know, I guess over the past ten years we've seen this kind of reemergence of of the horror genre as something mm. prestigious, you know. Um, mm. And there's like real there's real substance in horror films right. these days. I think it's becoming the genre that people are continuing to go to the theater for when everything else is just gone. Nobody goes right. to the theater for anything that's not a franchise movie anymore, but they will go for a great horror. Mm-hmm. And I really think this is one of those movies. And it's, as far as I'm concerned, you know, all credit to Ari as an auteur. This is an excellent piece of filmmaking. It really is. So we have to talk about, I'm, we have to Here we go. Here, Here we, we go. go. You know where I'm going. You know where I'm going. So. I'm going to fold my arms defensively. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. I won't. I so won't. there's, you know, a sex scene mm-hmm. in the movie, um, which is horrific, but hilarious. Yeah. And what I keep coming back to with you in the scene, I don't want to give too much away because there are details in it that I think people really want to see for the first time mm-hmm. without knowing it. But you're basically in this scenario where you're kind of forced to have sex with a woman um, to get her pregnant. And there are other... <laughs> see, I can't Just even... get it out, other, get it there out. Are other people in, <laughs> there are other people in the room, other women in the room, a lot of other women in the room yeah. who are just there to kind of cheer you on. Yeah. Um, but what I love is when these bizarre things are happening... The faces you make, I keep comparing it to Lucille Ball. This is I, just my sex face, dude. <laughs> wow. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It's just, but it's not. <laughs> I'm like blushing. Um, and I don't blush easily. Um, when, you, when your character realizes like, okay, this is really freaky. First of all, he doesn't stop. Yeah. Second of all, he makes these like faces that are almost slapstick yeah that takes you out of it for a second because you're like am i supposed to laugh at this like this this is not gonna go well we (laughs) kind of know there's this is not leading well i know how do you do a scene like that um you kind of just have to go for it right and that was the last day uh i would say it's better than being the first i think we shot that scene over probably 15 hours 14 or 15 hours wow it was it was long and there were a lot of shots. Well, I was going to say, and let's just get to it. You're just completely naked. You're yeah, full frontal. Full frontal. Full yeah. frontal. And the cameras capture every angle. Yeah. I mean, there's the shot from exactly, above. There's yeah. the shot from the side. Which I, You're, by the way, I was advocating for as much full frontal as possible. I felt like you? it was really important. Yeah. And um, why is that? So. Well, okay, we'll get back to the laughing in a minute, right? <laughs> we'll talk about the serious part of this first. <laughs> um, when I read the script, I saw an opportunity to take a character who exhibits a lot of archetypal alpha male characteristics, mm-hmm. like male toxicity, yep. um, who has all of that stuff stripped away from him through the course of the film and then ultimately finds himself in this situation, which is kind of the ultimate humiliation mm. and um, a, 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 a role reversal essentially between him and Danny because right. she at this same moment is going through a catharsis and an empowerment, whereas he is basically kind of meeting this really grisly fate in right. a humiliating and exposing way. So that for me was 
not something that I have an opportunity to do right. every day on film. And I thought that it was important, you know? Um, and, and as I say, you know, like it was always intentional to have the full frontal. That was what Ari wanted to do. But I was really saying like, we got to do as much of this as possible. Well, what I, what I also found interesting is that, and we laughed at it, you laugh at it. You know, he's completely naked. He runs out of the barn where, you, where you're having sex. He's running around and everyone's kind of laughing at that because it's just funny. Yeah. Like you said, like you've taken this guy who's so toxic and just literally stripped him down. But then all of a sudden he covers his bits. Like yeah. that's what he's worried about in this situation. Yeah. What everything that's going on in this movie, <laughs> he's, he's nervous someone's going to see his bits. Yeah. <laughs> well, there you go. That's, that's the kind of guy he is. <laughs> but with regards, you know, people watching the scene and finding the humor in it, it's so interesting to see it with an audience because, you know, like when that happens, particularly when like that kind of facial expression emerges, <laughs> half of the audience I've noticed will will burst into laughter, like a nervous laughter, but laughter nonetheless. Right. And half of them like turn around and they're looking at people like, what the fuck are these people <laughs> laughing about? So I love that though, you know, like to, uh, for a film to be able to be that divisive with an audience is great. So was it um, um, ad-libbed? Was it in the script when there was a woman who helped you along? We always, we always knew we were going to do that. Right. <laughs> we always knew. And I just remember seeing that lady on set every single day who didn't speak a word of English and I do not speak Hungarian. So uh, wow! I just remember going, the day is coming. <laughs> the day is coming. Um, and she was great. I mean, she really did go for it, you know? Right. I think the first time in particular that she came around and put her hands on my ass and started pushing, <laughs> I didn't expect her to do it so hard. I was like, I thought I was going to have to commit myself somehow to it. And I was like, nope, she's committing for me. Uh, but yeah, it was a great job. It's a great job. I think you, it works. Have you kept in touch? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm hitting her up on Instagram all the time. <laughs> um, tell me about Florence because she just, I mean, there, and again, it's a scene where I started tearing up. Yeah. You, you know, she, she has this horrible loss and she just has this emotional reaction to it mm -hmm. that I think most people would have. Yeah, this really primal, guttural. That's exactly, it's guttural. That's what yeah. I keep saying. Yeah. How did you do that scene? I mean, you just- you For me, it was the easiest thing in the world to do that scene. Why? Because Florence is so unbelievably committed mm -hmm. and really like throws herself in. That annoying? Yeah. Okay. Um, how did you do that? How did you do that scene with Florence? Um, yeah, it was, it, was an, it was, for me, there was like, there was no effort involved in that. And it's because Florence's commitment to occupying that mental space and the performance that pours out of her, the animalistic nature of it in this like right. moment of unbelievable tragedy was so intense. Just wow. holding her in my arms, mm -hmm. feeling the contractions of her muscles and the scream coming out of her and her tears I mean, like if you're a human being and you're, you're, you're feeling this, right. it, I just, it was floods of tears for me. And I was, I was in pain <laughs> looking at her in pain and still knowing that it wasn't real. It was right. mad. I was like, we're acting, this is a performance, but 
just almost crying at her capacity to right. do it. You know what I mean? Um, and never before have I had the experience of another actor just giving me my performance. It's just like, don't worry about this. I've got it. There but, you go. Boom. At the same time, your character is probably going, oh, man, really? <laughs> well, really? not in that. I think if there's one moment in the film that exhibits Christian's compassion for her, it's that moment. Um, it is that, like, you're at you're at the the bleeding edge of this trauma and um i think that's the moment if if there's any humanity in the character that's the moment that we show it now there were other scenes that we shot that were omitted from the final cut where there was some compassion from christian towards danny even in sweden and you know there was a moment where she was having a really bad trip and she was freaking out and he came running to her and held her and put his arms around her i think ultimately it didn't make the cut number one for the duration of the film and number two because we do ultimately have to take up Danny's perspective and we have to align ourselves with her for her catharsis at right. the end, you know? Um, but I think that that moment that you're talking about is probably the moment where we see Christian uh, being for her what she needs right. to be. But somewhere between that and where we pick up six months later, mm-hmm. he's just, you know, resigned himself to the fact that he's getting out of this right. relationship one way or another. So does Danny stay in Sweden? Oh, I'd say she does. <laughs> I think it's a psychotic break that she's never coming back from. Now, oh, other people, okay. I mean, some people are like, it's really interesting hearing other people's read on this. And it's like, no, she's fine now. She's fine. And I'm like, is that what fine looks like? Really? See, I, I, uh, my impression is like, she got this through her system. Yeah. And she could go on with so her life. So what do you imagine she did? Did she go back to America and... Yeah. Yeah. Because listen, if you guys didn't leave mm-hmm. when you first saw the craziness happen, mm-hmm. then you're going to be okay to leave and come back, visit, you know, but this is only every 90 years this, you know, this ceremony takes place. So she doesn't have to do it again. Yeah. Um, but you think she's saying, <laughs> like you're twisting. I think, you know, there's also that moment where Wilhelm Blomgren's character, Pele, mm-hmm. When she becomes the May Queen and he grabs her and he just like makes out with her out of nowhere. I kind of feel like maybe she might be his May Queen from now on. Okay. Okay. (laughs) I see that too. I see that too. Now we're going to take another short break. When we come back, Jack fills us in on his directorial debut and why he's not looking to join a superhero franchise anytime soon. Hey y'all, what's up? It's Jess Hilarious, and I'm just making sure y'all know that I got a podcast called Carefully Reckless on the Black Effect Network. I'm gonna be telling y'all all my business and telling y'all other people's business too. It ain't no limits to the things I talk about. Y'all know that if y'all know me. From baby mama drama to healthy relationships, from child support to stimulus checks. Look, when you take a step back and you realize that we all go through crazy stuff and we got stories to tell, those situations do not define you. But they do make for a real good conversation. <laughs> In a world where clickbait and cancel culture can tell your story before you do, I'm creating an outlet to remind people that we still human crazy and we can all laugh about it. Don't stress over it. Bring your problems to me. I promise I won't judge you, but I might crack a joke or two. Don't be scared. It'll be respectful and messy at the same time. Just make sure you tune in. Listen to Carefully Reckless every Wednesday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. So now you have to tell me about your movie that you directed. Oh, yeah, yeah. Tell yeah. me about this. 
Um, so actually right off the back of Midsommar, I came home and um, went into production on my uh, short film that I'd written and was directing. It's called Banya, which is the Irish word for milk. I was going to ask you, how do you pronounce it? Because yeah. I knew I wasn't there you go. Right. <laughs> um, Will Poulter is the lead of it. He very graciously uh, came over to... To, to do that with me. That's the fourth time here. I was just going to say, together, yeah. <laughs> you're like Laurel and Hardy at exactly. the time. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the film, I mean, it's a really personal one for me. I am, um, I'm a lover of Japanese cinema, mm -hmm. particularly the work of Masaki Kobayashi. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a film that he did called Kwaidan. I don't know if you ever saw mm -hmm. it. It's, it's a beautiful piece of, piece of work, but it's an anthology of four short ghost stories um, kind of from the annals of Japanese mythology and they're put on film in an incredibly artistic and, and, and vibrant way. Um, the guy who wrote the material that Kwaidan is based off was an Irishman actually by the name oh, of wow. Caddy O'Hearn and he lived in Japan between 1890 and 1904 when he died. And he'd been brought up in Ireland in a time after the Great Irish Famine when there was a lot of superstition and there was a lot of ghosts. Right. There's a culture of shame that exists in Ireland and a culture of silence as a result of what people had to do to survive the famine. Survivor's mm -hmm. guilt is, is huge right. in our society. And so he grew up at that time in Ireland and developed that really interesting, um, you know, Irish kind of style of, of telling ghost stories. But he went to Japan and he applied that style to recording the ghost stories that he found out there. And this film is an adaptation of a very short little Japanese folktale that he had recorded on those travels. Oh, wow. So I read it and the moment I read it, um, I was just like, I can see it. I can 100% just see it all oh, like awesome. perfectly in my mind. So I went about writing it and I set it, not in Japan, obviously I set it during the Great Irish Famine. And it's a ghost story. Um, and I'm, I'm really proud of it, you know? It was my first opportunity to really get behind the camera and to design my own shot list, um, to think about, you know, the composition of a frame and everything that I could use within it to say mm -hmm. something. And uh, also, you know, I worked with some amazing people. Uh, Nathan Nugent, who mm -hmm. was the editor for Room mm -hmm. um, and all Lenny Abramson's films, he edited the movie with me, which was great. Wow. Uh, my friend Owen French, who uh, has a great Irish band, Talos, did the score for it, which I think is beautiful. Uh, we used an amazing Turkish instrument called a Yebahar that my friend Billy McGlynn had built. Um, so it was, yeah, it was really brilliant. And I shot it all around my home in County Wicklow in oh, Ireland. Wow. And I mean, nature and the landscapes are really kind of like one of the stars of the show, oh, you know? That's awesome. Um, so I'm very proud of it. And it was a great, you know, uh, ensemble of, of creative people coming together to help me execute it and so it's gonna it's gonna screen at the Galway Film Flat on the 13th of July and we're submitted to some other festivals so fingers crossed we get in a couple other places so when was the last time you cried watching a movie whoa um not that long ago what was I watching that I cried for I'll tell you what last time I cried like a baby watching a movie was Paris Texas why is that just that whole sequence at the end where they reconcile, you know, like on either side of the glass, not even a full reconciliation, but a communication. Mm -hmm. um, I just think it, it's just so astute and it's so on point and so like beautiful and human. I know that sounds really fucking wanky to say, but it really <laughs> does. And and then at the last moment where the, where the kid is reintroduced to his mother and 
the authenticity of that boy's reactions to her and hers to him in that moment I just fell apart crying watching it I thought it was beautiful what's the one movie you could watch over and over again like it comes on and you're like yep I'm gonna watch it again that's a really good question um I have to say I think it would be another Masaki Cowboy Ashi film and it's called Harakiri. But how often is it coming on? <laughs> it doesn't come on. I gotta sit down and watch it myself. <laughs> there it is again. It's on Hulu. <laughs> uh, Do you remember? I have a feeling I'm not gonna know the answer to this, but what's the movie that you watched that said, you know what? I wanna do that. Die Hard when I was six. Oh, okay. I was expecting You know some. that one? Yeah, I've heard that one. Why? Crazy, Why? yeah. I just, uh, I watched it with my grandfather on a, like, somebody had recorded it on network TV <laughs> on a VHS, and I watched it when I was six, and I was like, whoa. Just like, I'd never seen, I'd never obviously seen anything like that, and I shouldn't have been watching anything like that at six years of age, but I was enamored with just the action. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. The, you know what I mean? But I was enamored by the, the action and the pace of it, and, um, uh, even from that age, even from six years old, I feel like I was already starting to absorb the language of film wow. through watching that. And I still think Die Hard's a great, great, great movie. So when you're on the set of Transformers, are you like, here we are? It, is this my Die Hard? Yeah, it felt like it felt kind of like it wasn't my Die Hard, but it felt like I was having the experience of right. it. You know what I mean? Like that was a mad thing. Just the the culture of those films and how they're made and just like shit blowing up everywhere all day around <laughs> you and helicopters and like, you know, fast cars and people shooting at you. It's insane. So coming out of independent Irish cinema, going straight <laughs> into that was right. like, I mean, I was shell-shocked, shell-shocked. And, and then in an interview, you said you don't like the movies that are coming out of Hollywood. To be Still honest feel with that you, way? I, I'm really interested in like I'm really interested in stuff like as I was saying I think that the horror genre is finding a new path for itself and there is prestigious and substantial right. themes mm -hmm. and um, you know like characteristics of film that are that are coming out and being translated through this genre right now mm -hmm. that's really interesting I love that but just like everybody else I think I've got franchise and superhero fatigue mm. and I'm I'm ready for, you know, more, I don't know, maybe not independent cinema, but like, I don't need sequels to everything. You know what I mean? Just make one. Well, I was going to ask you, <laughs> is there a sequel to Midsommar? Uh, well, if there is, I'm not going to be in it. <laughs> no, you're not. Um, so do you want to do a superhero movie? Do you see yourself doing something like that? To be honest with you, um, it just doesn't, it's not the kind of thing that I ever really watch. Mm. Um, and I don't, I'm, I, I'm in it to make the kinds of films and be in the kinds of films that I like to watch. Right. And direct them too. And now. direct, yeah, exactly. Um, and I don't find myself sitting down excited about watching superhero movies very much. Mm. And um, yeah, I mean, if they can reinvent it, if they can turn it into something that isn't, you know, what it seems to be right to me then okay great but as it stands i'm gonna probably continue to do smaller films where i have more of an opportunity to 
craft the kind of performance that I really want to do. Oh, awesome. Midsommar is crazy, freaky, thriller, horror. It's just everything. Like, go see it on July 4th, you know? Please have, do. You have fun. I mean, my husband and I walked out of it. I was like, he looked at me, I looked at him, and we're like, that was crazy. That was yep. insane. And it was actually a, a very small screening room, one of the screening rooms in Beverly Hills. I've never seen a screening room that crowded. They were bringing chairs in so people really? could Really? Well, that bodes well. Yeah, yeah. So awesome. <laughs> Jack, thank you so much. Thank, thank you for having me. Absolutely. Awesome. Cheers. Thank you. Good. That was a great thank chat. You. I love oh, it. thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Yeah. That was Jack Rayner, star of Ari Aster's Midsommar. The movie is in theaters July 3rd. Coming up next week, Kumal Nanjiani. The funny man is now a bona fide action star with the upcoming Stuber, his new buddy comedy with Guardians of the Galaxies, Dave Batista. Have a great 4th of July, everyone. And while you're at the beach enjoying some barbecue, don't forget to follow me on Twitter, at Mark Malkin. Thanks for listening to The Big Ticket. I'll see you next week. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.